Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I am your host, Jeff Skabitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Catherine Campion. Catherine Campion is co-founder and executive director of Positive Action Community Theater, a nonprofit organization in Encinitas, California, that uses dance and theater to train to help people with autism connect with their peers, master social skills, and enjoy the arts. Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So, Catherine, the the cause that you have in place with uh, Positive Action Community Theater resonates with me deeply, just because I think that when I look at the structure that you probably are able to provide and the support and the trust systems, is that it empowers, it enables so many of these kids that are coming through your program. But can you start and just give us a little background about PACT, how it started, how you got involved with it? Sure. In 2008, um, my husband and I, who both have um, backgrounds in performing arts, and I had been recently um, in the nonprofit world, so we decided to just put it all together and start a new nonprofit, a community theater. And um we were going to teach things like self-esteem and creativity through theater. And then dance became a part of the program, too. So we um, started that, and it was working well. We had an article about us in a local paper. And after that, we started getting parents um, of children with autism joining our program. They were very enthusiastic about the uh, results that they were seeing in their kids. Improv theater has a just sort of a natural way of um, bringing these guys out. And a lot of these guys are interested and talented in the art. So it was just a natural setting for them. It was news to us. You know, we, I didn't really have any background in autism, but um, these parents that came in just sort of... Um, what can I say? They sort of took ownership of the program in a way. They joined our board of directors. They uh, joined our teaching staff. They helped us create the curriculum that was, you know, designed to um, serve this particular population. And it just kind of rolled from there. You know what, that, that story, I've heard that story so many times in different places with the arts being such a pivotal part children with autism and their families. And it usually starts with one or two kind of children who come into the organization, have a wonderful experience, and then the autism community spreads the word and and puts it out there. So how did you adapt originally when initially you didn't necessarily start out as a a autism or disability uh, focused uh, theater group? But you had to adapt. You had to potentially change some of the way you were organizing your theater productions, um, how you were incorporating people. So how did that transition occur? Well, I think it was the parents themselves. These were um, professionals, some of them in the performing arts industry. And obviously they knew about autism. So it was really them that taught us. 
Um, and we were excited uh, to, my husband was not as, quite as interested in the, um, the new transition. I sort of got very interested after um, we started serving people with autism. So, you know, I learned from them is really basically what happened. Parents, parents were the teachers. Yeah, and I would imagine that a lot of the children had some backgrounds and social stories, learning some scripts, um, maybe taking a structured social situation and putting it back into a real life or some of the clinical skills they might learn on how to adapt, how to engage with others. But it sounds like your your structure is a little bit more improvisational, which creates a, yeah. a little bit more of a challenge for some of the kids as maybe they learned through scripts originally. Now it's more free-flowing, tangential potentially. So what are some of the funny stories that, that you've kind of run into? Because you have a variety of different people, all individuals who are going through improv. And even with, uh, with myself and you doing improv, we'd end up with funny stories. But when you're adding in different perspectives, have you seen some, some really cool performances and, and different productions come out from that alone, from autism being a part of it? Well, what I have seen is that um, a lot of these guys have a very highly evolved sense of humor. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very funny. You know, some of them are just, um, they're very sharp witted and, um, just excited to have an opportunity to express that. So, um, yeah, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed watching them and watching people evolve from being very hesitant to being a comedian, like a full on comedian. And, everybody laughing and just the the joy that they feel from having an appreciative audience. I mean, it's, um, it's been very enjoyable. Now I'd imagine that the culture set within the theater becomes so important Um, to put oneself out there is hard to do. And to put oneself out where you're already might be a little bit uncomfortable or had some failures for a lot of the children with autism is that social has probably been a challenge but to do that, it, you need the right environment. So what, what does your theater setup look like that promotes the inclusion? How do you create the culture within the theater where people can feel confident to be themselves or to create trust? Well, our uh, lead teacher is a mother of two um, now young adults with autism. And um, so that has helped a lot. We start the workshop with a circle. This is when we were doing in-person workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're in a circle and we do icebreakers, things like tossing a ball to each other and keeping eye contact or um, just simple icebreaker activities where everybody participates. Um, and that helps a lot. That helps people relax. And then we move on from there to um, improvisational activities where sometimes they'll pair up and mirror each other or um, a lot of things where everybody participates and nobody's watching you really except your partner. So that helps a lot. And then we do more like, you know, people, more performing for the group. Like we have one activity that is uh, called park bench 
where you come up as a SpongeBob SquarePants or um, Albert Einstein or something like that. And you sit down and you be that character and people try and guess who you are. So it's kind of a gradual process. Yeah. But I have found, and the parents have been very surprised in a lot of cases, these guys love this. You know, they finally feel like they have a place where they can express themselves and have some fun and be with their peers. I think that uh, now that you're describing it, I could see the benefit of that improvisational setting being so powerful simply because you have a chance for the child never to fail. Like you can't fail when you're doing an improvisational situation, unless you're not participating. So if you're out there, SpongeBob and you're on the bench is you now own SpongeBob. Nobody can tell you wrong. You're right in that situation. And that's going to feel great for these kids. Right. Uh, So as you, as you look through it, what sort of, uh, can you give me an example of, of some of the performances that, that have been really successful through the theater or or that you've been exceptionally proud of? Well, we don't focus on performance. Um, What we do is when we were having in-person workshops, we would have an eight-week workshop cycle. And at the end of the eight weeks, they would do um, performance kind of just for their parents. So, you know, and we had, we were serving about 50 people uh, right before everything closed down in March. So we had a pretty good group of parents and family members to watch these guys. So they felt, you know, like they were performing for an audience, but it was very low stress. And then we'd have a big party afterwards. So um, the performances pretty much looked like the workshops. And there were some very, like I was saying before, there were some moments where people would shine and feel appreciated. And that was always a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I would imagine just looking at the parent perspective is seeing your child up there, having the spotlight on them and seeing them feel proud and excited about what they're doing is that's got to be one of the most uh, powerful, one of the most emotional components that a parent could feel. I mean, have you gotten feedback from parents? Have what what did, what do they say about these performances? I would imagine that they gloat as far as they're they're so proud mm-hmm. of their child, but they probably are very proud of the work that your group has put into it. So what's the feedback? Well, they're very happy to have something to do as a family that's fun. Um, so that I've heard a lot. Um, I've just heard a lot of parents saying that they are seeing progress in their child's ability to express themselves, to get up and express themselves in front of a group to, you know, for a lot of these kids, this is very new. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of them really don't have a lot of social contact. So they're making friends and they're kidding around with their peers. And this is just, um, well, the parents are very grateful for the, for the whole situation, really. Yeah. Some of those byproducts that you just talked about, about having a group of friends or having a peer group, yeah. it's, uh, it's important for all of us. Uh, I mean, it's important to have those connections. Um, as far as the, the skills that you were saying that the children are able to develop or learn, I would imagine that one of the hardest things for a lot of the children that are coming through your theater is being able to respond, pick up on uh, the feedback from another person and respond accordingly. Do you pair kids up during the theater? Do you have any interactive work going on? 
We do pair them up, and um, we have volunteers, people without autism, that we uh, recruit, and um, sometimes we pair them up with people that have more challenges. Um, so that happens. But sometimes people, two people are paired up who both have a lot of challenges, and they just sort of work their way through it, you know, and there's a level of um, understanding between them. Perseverance is probably a skill in itself for those kids is being able right. to. Right. Kind of- and, and it's the fun that brings them back. It's the fun and the camaraderie of theater that brings them back. I don't think yeah. they come there to learn social skills. Their parents may bring them there to learn that, but they come <laughs> for the fun and for the friendship. Yep. And that's the best way to learn is to do it while having fun and being motivated. Right? and experiencing the community. And I think that's the the best part of the inclusive part to this is that you have the chance for something that we might have historically taken our kids out of, which would be community theater, because we feel like, oh, they can't can't participate. They can't be a part of it because they don't have the right skills. But you've created Mm -hmm. the platform for that. And that inclusion, I think, is so important as well. so as you're looking at that, do you ever bring in, um, I guess, a, a mixture of neurotypical peers uh, to come in and, and perform with or to uh, volunteer with your group to be able to kind of be a part of these groups? Well, the neurotypical peers are the volunteers. And what we ask of them is that they um, participate as equals with the group. We don't point them out as volunteers. They get no special standing of any kind. So everybody feels equal. Okay. So, but yes, that does give the people with autism an opportunity to observe typical behavior, which is very valuable and practice their social skills. Cause improvisational theater is just, it's just verbal. It's just talking. It's, you know, making up things. It's learning how to think on your feet and um, have some fun, you know, Mm-hmm. Try and, out I mean, new things, kind of thing. It, everything that you're doing, when I look at it from a clinical lens, it's so powerful. You might have set it up as a as a theater, as an opportunity for people to perform, and which it obviously is. But now I, I I look at it from my lens clinically. It's you're giving the children the chance to to be able to generalize a lot of their social skills, to be able to communicate with each other, to be able to have reciprocity. Um, all of these skills I find so valuable, but like you said, the kids don't go in there thinking this is what I'm going to learn. It's it's tangential. They just end up absorbing and having opportunity to use their skills, which is, I think, is such a cool aspect of bringing community as a part of treatment from my lens as, as you got that, that combination that works really well. Um, there is this unique factor right now, though, that you probably don't have that physical component to what's going on because of COVID. How are you all handling that? Well, what we did in late March is we pivoted to having virtual improvisational theater workshops. We um, dropped our dance class because that's a little more challenging online, but we have found out that um, improv theater actually works very well online. Um, And we also um, created an opportunity for our three young adults with autism who've been assisting at the in-person workshops to lead their own virtual workshops, which has been a good next step career-wise for them. 
So it's actually worked out really well, you know, and there have been people who, because of distance or other reasons, weren't able to uh, join our in-person workshops that are thriving in the virtual workshops. Yeah, you know what, I, all of these things that have occurred due to COVID is that it's always kind of like, well, what positive could have come from any of this, which is hard to look through that lens. But one of the things is that looking forward, I would never have been able to think that so much could be done virtually. But a lot of our kids, that's how their communication, that's how their socialization, that's, that's the new norm. And right. what you're able to do with your workshops, I think kind of takes advantage of that and allows that to be a vehicle going forward. Do you plan on keeping that when you bring back the in-person workshops? Are you going to keep a virtual opportunity? I want to, because like I said, there are people that weren't able to um, because of distance or allergies or, you know, different things weren't able to uh, join us in our in-person workshops and love the virtual workshops. So, um, yeah, I do plan on keeping them even after it's safe to resume our in-person workshops. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would like for this to grow. You know, I would like um, we're mostly serving the community that we served before. We have a few new people, but um, I would like to serve more through this. I think that there's a capacity there. I think that that would be there. wonderful for outlying communities is that uh, the service that you're providing isn't really available to all all regions, all cities, all towns. And there's so many children out there that would benefit. So if you are able to continue to expand that, um, you, ha you have an advocate behind you here. So <laughs> great. Um, great. So what, what was, I mean, on a personal level, what is the one thing or the, the two things that you've found most rewarding through this process? Because you, you've touched so many lives, you've seen so many families feel that joy. You've seen so many children grow, which maybe you didn't expect right when you opened it up to have this level of impact. Maybe it was a different level of impact that you're looking at. But what was the what are the two highlights that you could say throughout your time that have been the cornerstones to the packed uh, house? Well I think um, one of the cornerstones is that these three adults with autism that I've been talking about, and there are more um, and will be more, I'm quite sure, but they started out, um, uh, some of them we have been working with for years and they started out as being, you know, very shy and unable to communicate. And now they're the leaders of the uh, program. They're the perfect role models for their peers, you know, with autism and watching them grow has been very uh, rewarding for me. I mean, they're they're incredible teachers. They're, so many of these guys are beautiful, high high integrity, um, high principled people who just need a chance, really, to to grow and to learn those skills, social skills, you know, communication skills that will enable them to be the leaders that they are. I see a lot of leaders here. Yeah. And, and it sounds like you're, you're growing them within your community and within the, the theater work. So what, what age can, can we start to grow these new leaders? What, what, what age can children enroll into this theater program? Well, I have found that the people that are most interested um, in our program are teenagers and young adults. Okay. We have a program for adolescents, 10 to 13. 
Um, and, you know, that's a successful program. But really, the teens, that's kind of when their parents start noticing that they need some extra help socially. Um, and then when they get out of high school, you know, they don't really have any programs like they did before to help them. So teens and young adults definitely are, are um, the vast majority of the people that we serve. And and I'm glad that you all are there to serve those populations because it, neurotypical or a child with a, a different perspective or a disorder is that teenage years are hard to begin with. But the mm-hmm. way treatment's set up right now is that a lot of the treatment's focused at learning the skills prior to those teenage years. There's the early intervention, that opportunity for developing new social skills or developing communication styles. But when some of the children with autism get into the, the, that age group that it becomes harder to really understand all the nuance of socialization, is that mm-hmm. we, we seem to let them down at times and there aren't as many programs. And it sounds like you're filling that gap really well to be able to give them a safe place to be able to continue to grow and develop, but do it in such a fun social environment. Um, on that note, I mean, what, what thoughts do you have or what advice do you have for parents that are out there trying to wonder or trying to figure out, you know, is this right for me? Well, I would say um, just have their family member give it a try. I know it's not always easy that that first step of getting them to try something new, but um, once they experience uh, something like this, either in our program or something similar, uh, I think they're going to be surprised at the level of interest. I've heard that so many times, you know, this is the first time my child has been interested in social interaction, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're thrilled. Um, so yeah, just, you know, that, uh, that push, (laughs) that initial push that it takes to get them to try something new is worth it. Yeah. Once you get that toe in the water, it becomes far easier to jump right in. Um, and And they do jump right in to the astonishment of a lot of their parents. They had no idea. A lot of these parents had no idea that their kids were even interested or talented in the performing arts. Yeah. And, and you know what, for a lot of these kids, they might not have known that, but then they got that right. comfort level and, and what you provided gave them the chance to explore more where they might've been shut off historically. So um, I, I think that this is a wonderful program that you're running and I'd love to give you the chance to be able to let us know how we can access this program or at least in the Encinitas area right now, or if you continue to, to give more virtual opportunities, where do people go to find out information about your theater? Well, probably the easiest way is just to go to our website, and that's www.pacthouse, so packedhouse.org. Or you can just put in Positive Action Community Theater, and that will probably get you there, too. And are there any samples on the website uh, that people can take a look at? Is there anything that will give them a little bit of a taste of you know, this is, this is what the theater does. So, so their children can see it as, as, are there links to anything? Yes, there's a link to a sample virtual workshop. I know I put it on our blog section. I think my webmaster may have put it someplace else, but uh, look in the blog section and um, you should find it there. 
Yeah, I, I would imagine if that if people were able to see and observe the power, the confidence, and just the amount of fun that people have while they're attending your theater group, is uh, you'll probably have people knocking down the doors tomorrow. I welcome them in, that's for sure. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Catherine. I think what you're doing for the community is is amazing, and I think that the fact that you're helping that adolescent, young adult group in the way that you are is filling such a needed gap, um, and it's empowering so many of these kids to be who they want to be. Um, so I do, I do appreciate your time today and I thank you for, for sharing your information and sharing your insight. Well, thank you for what you do. Social skills and autism are such a pivotal skill to have, and it's something that takes time to develop and has to be taught in a variety of different ways. What Catherine's group, PACT, does is that it enables the kids to take all those skills they're learning and, and really immerse them into a trusting, social, exciting, fun environment. And for a lot of these teens that are going through the process, that's exactly what they need. They need the chance to use their skills. And these theater groups do just that. So thanks for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all of the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS. ABS is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting ABS Kids. That's plural.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week.